Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Bob again. I've got Authentic Leadership, Discover and Live Your Essential Mission. And I've got Boss Blacking on the line, and you're way over in the Netherlands today, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm curious, you know, with, with all the, the things going on in Europe right now, but as far as the economic situation, how's Europe doing? Uh, actually, I think it's going better, slowly. And you see some changes, you see some development, and... Well, you're you're from Canada, aren't you? And you have the U.S. Uh, nearby, and you have a United States uh, of America. I'm not sure that if we have really a United States of Europe over here, but uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> so, your book, Authentic Leadership, why did you think it was important to bring out a book like this? Well, good question. It, it, it was a thing in my life I had to do it, and... That's rather personal. There was this moment in my life that a lot of people around me died. So that's a nice and gay start for this conversation. But it was also the moment for me to see, okay, imagine that I'm gone. Is this uh, all there was? Is there something I want to leave behind? And that was the moment that I realized, uh, my goodness, besides two beautiful children, there's something I want to leave behind, something that works. And that's the kind of philosophy that I was working on for a long time then. And said, so, okay, it's time to write it down. Uh, so if something happens to me, that it wasn't gone. And it sounds very sad and awful, but it wasn't actually. It was, it was kind of thing I really wanted to do, I really wanted to write. And and at that moment, the, the philosophy was good enough uh, to, to put it on paper. So that's actually the why. Now, did that change the way you uh, ran your business? Or, or because, you know, once you decide to do something that's life-changing like that, or at least uh, affirming your philosophy in life, a lot of times it's like, wow, not only do I want to change my life, I also want to change my business. I want to change the way I do business. Did this happen for you as well? Well, actually, it was the moment that it was uh, going quite uh, fine. Um, what happened, I, I didn't realize that, and maybe it was a little bit naive, but the moment I, I published my book in the Netherlands, uh, it became famous. And, well, that's always very good for your ego. Um, <laughs> but what happens then, there are a lot of questions. Could you help me here? Could you help me there? Could you change or develop this organization? Could you run a program for this leadership development here? So, actually, I only have 24-7, and sometimes I like to spend some hours with my family. So the reason was, uh, or the solution was, okay, let's have an employee, because normally I worked on my own. Uh, it was in one-man business. So uh, that was the moment that I decided to grow and to coach and train people in the authentic leadership philosophy. And so, yes, it changed a lot. And now we're, uh, um, yeah, between 15 and probably at the end of next year, we have 20 uh, coaches or advisors now working not only in the Netherlands. So, there, yeah, there, 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 there was a lot of change for that. And I must say it's fun. It's fun. I didn't realize that leading myself, because it's always 
easy to advise leaders. We have a saying in the Netherlands, uh, the shoemaker probably has a hole in his own shoe. And uh, <laughs> that was the moment for me to prove, okay, boss, uh, put your money where your mouth is. Could you be the authentic leader yourself? So that was quite some adventure. <laughs> now, did you find that this new philosophy of being authentic was uh, resonated with people in the Netherlands um, because it's kind of part of their culture and, and, and then from there it moved uh, to other parts of Europe? Or did it take off in places you weren't expecting? Well, first, uh, the moment I did some research, I already realized, no, it's not a Dutch thing. It's, it's a human thing. And I could prove that because I teach at the university here in the Netherlands and there are a lot of international programs with leaders from all over the world. And I just try that. Um, do I recognize? And you see some content differences uh, like a culture from a Korean guy or a British guy. Uh, yeah, that's, that's different than a Dutch leader. But actually, the philosophy how to work with this seven layers concept or to work from purpose-driven or failure-driven, it's all the same. Well, it wasn't just a Dutch thing, fortunately, because otherwise, yeah, our growth or to, to, to share the philosophy was only stuck in the Netherlands. Before we get into the book and, and get down to the details, I'm curious, do you feel that this philosophy of business, because really that's what it is, this philosophy of business is the key to... Uh, enabling global business to be more harmonic and be less greed-based and, and, quite frankly, environmentally friendly and sustainable. Absolutely. And I really think that, um, yeah, how should I put that? It's already there. So the, the, the doing this is maybe a new way of saying, well, this is what it has to be. Uh, it's not a new steel like oh, this is revolutionary, a different way of living. It's coming back to the authentic way of living instead of this ego way of living about positioning and because of leading by fear. It's, it's more, okay, let's release something that's already there and break down some barriers. And yes, that should be sustainable, and we can prove that it's sustainable to make uh, this leadership get known in your business and to have this kind of leadership to watch your clients, etc. Yeah, this is what we truly believe, and fortunately, <laughs> there are some results, and we can prove it. Jumping into the book, uh, you've kind of got the, the, the front section, which is the layers, and I'm curious, you know, you've got basically seven layers, and then you go from ego to authenticity, which I would say would maybe be the topping on the cake, if you want to use that as a metaphor. So, so why layers? Is because each layer builds on itself, or can I jump and go, oh, well, I, want to, I just want to do chapter three, the skills layer, or will I lose stuff by not doing it in order? Yes, you probably will lose stuff because uh, to fully understand something about layer, you have to understand something about behavior and the, the, the thinking in terms of consequences. So the first time, sorry for that, Bob, you have to read all the book. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> what happens is um, that what I see is that leaders, if they once uh, read the book, what they do, they pick up the book another time. Okay, I, I want to know that because uh, a lot of ego uh, behavior is going on in my business. And then you can just pick one example to go into depth there. But yeah, sorry, you have to read it all. 
Now, it's it's uh, uh, for people that you know don't have the book in their hands. Really, it's not a, a large book in that sense because you know for, from basically from uh, layer one to uh, from ego to authenticity, which is is basically chapter eight. That's one hundred and eighty nine pages, and then you've got a tremendous amount of uh, appendix material and research in the back of the book, which I really really enjoy because if you want to do further study and further reading, you reading, you can really dig down and get to specifics and grow as far as you want. Yeah, well, well, thank you for this compliment, Bob. Um, the way it was being read, I had some readers that helped me to write the book. And I must say, the, 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 the advice I got a lot, don't go to depth there, boss. Uh, no, just make it uh, not a simple book like it's an easy book, but um, take all the stuff that's going uh, deeper than usual and take that uh, and bring it to the appendix. So what the idea of the book is, it should be a kind of self-coaching concept. If you read this book and you have a question and you can see all kind of little things like try this or try that, uh, it should be good enough just to read the chapters. And if you really think, well, I want to go into depth, for example, a lot of leaders, they are worrying is, yeah, I want to develop my culture. How do I do that? And they had all uh, lots of failures in, in previous programs. If you want to do that, you go into appendix and see how it works with values and norms and prescriptive norms and all kind of that stuff. But normally, you just write the book or read the book, sorry, read the book, and it should be enough to coach yourself with a lot of problems you, or issues you have. Uh, what advice do you have for people actually that that are going to jump into this book and, 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 you know, read it and say, you know what, I like it, I like this philosophy, I want to move forward. Is it something that works best by just jumping into it and then discovering the questions you need answered? Or uh, is it more of a thing you have to completely understand and then move into it? No, you don't have to completely understand. I can tell you what kind of leaders do uh, read the book. You can say there's a kind of uh, people who are really interesting in development. So it's not only the leader, the manager, but you see a lot of teachers. Nowadays, there's something fun going on. Fortunately, I see young ones like 20 years, 24 years old, already busy with uh, things like raison d'etre, yeah, the really meaning of life. They are interested in this book. So it's people who are uh, interested in how this behavior work and how can we change that and don't go uh, like oh where does it come from like in the past and did you have your red bicycle from your daddy or mommy no it's not like that kind of stuff it's more to understand how does it work why do I behave like this uh, and I see leaders who really want to develop behavior or develop the way of influence in the organization are interested but they don't have to know a lot before they just read the book. It's not for the experienced coach uh, or whatsoever. No, it's just to uh, facilitate people to how to develop behavior or culture in an organization. Let's touch a bit on the seven layers. You've got environmental, behavioral, skills, norms, ego, values, and then authenticity, and then from ego to authenticity. Now, it looks to me, and when I was reading it, it really relies heavily on a person being conscious of their self. How 
does a person do that? Can you do it by self-reflecting or do you really need somebody that you can go to and, and get uh, bounce back from and say, hey, where am I failing here? Or what am I, who am I actually? Well, the second thing helps a lot. But um, the, the purpose of this book is that you can do it yourself. But what I see a lot is that we have this peer group coaching that they use this technique or this philosophy altogether. It always helps uh, if another person reflects uh, on your behavior. But the seven layer concept, uh, it's to ask, you the, uh, ask yourself the right questions. And, and that's not that hard. What I mean, uh, the question if, if I want to develop myself, and this was the case why, why I used this concept of the seven layers. I'm, I, I witnessed that a lot of leaders are uh, sometimes digging too deep for solutions, and other leaders are not digging deep enough for solutions. And that was the moment, to be honest, I was very motivated by uh, the the... the theory from Bateson. Uh, they had this uh, theory of logical levels of thinking. And that inspired me to, to take a look, but it, it didn't work for me. I, I just missed something. I couldn't solve the problem, so I was dealing with his leaders. But to answer your question, if you uh, ask yourself the right question, it's quite logical to do it yourself. Uh, it's about listening how you make this uh, problem uh, how should I explain it? If you write the problem in one sentence, uh, the way you pronounce the problem will tell you on which layer it is. Let me give an example. If your problem is, my leader is too dominant, he never listens. Uh, if you listen to yourself, you say, you're here, it's not about yourself, it's about something in your environment. So you know, ah, this is on the surface level. So probably the solution won't come up on this uh, environmental level because I, I talk about a problem in my environment. The question is, what will I do with this problem? Ah, there we go, to a second level. And you can continue. Do I need skills to solve the problem with my leader? Ah, I go to the third level. And what if I have the skills to deal with my boss, but I don't, and this is actually more a leadership kind of problem. Most leaders already have the skills to deal with their problems, but they don't. So it means we have to dig one layer deeper. And there's this norm skills. And so you can continue to ask yourself, if I have a solution on this skill and I don't do it, or I, don't feel, uh, or I do feel extremely uncomfortable doing that, I have to dig one uh, skill deeper. So that's or one uh, layer deeper. So it's a long answer, but the answer is you can do it yourself. Uh, the moment you understand how adapted the philosophy is. Mm, I like that. So, so really, uh, the way that the, the chapters are working is the environmental layer is, uh, that's your day-to-day -day reality. And then as you go deeper and deeper, you get deeper and deeper into yourself and uh, taking away your ego layers and then finally coming down to your, your essence or your core, which is an incredibly thing a difficult thing to do. I mean, it, it, you know, you can talk about it, but for somebody to authentically say, okay, I am going to dig down to this level is, I would say, almost impossible for an individual to do unless they are driven and really, really are heavily motivated uh, and understand that they have to transform. Yes. And to transform, maybe they want to develop. They don't 
want to continue in this circle way of leading. Uh, they see there's something deeper or there's some, some power to unleash that is there, but I'm not able to unleash it. Uh, I think you're right. It's, it's that motivation that keeps you going on. I really want to know what's uh, actually, Bob, that's funny. Because first, uh, what I realized that a lot of uh, leaders who read this book had the age between uh, 34 and uh, 45. Uh, 35 and 45. And uh, I don't know what your age, Bob. Oh, I'm, I'm old. I'm like 52. Oh, 52. Well, I hope that you're in your midlife then now, because... <laughs> yeah, I'm in my third 104, midlife. that will be marvelous. <laughs> but what I realized that a lot of... Uh, you sound younger, by the way. Um, what I realized is uh, a lot of people who are really searching for what, what, what's really there, what, what's my mission in life, what I really like to achieve, that it normally started at 35, 45, but just as I mentioned... We're now witnessing that that uh, even younger leaders uh, are uh, exploring this material. Well, you know, it is fascinating because, you know, if you're looking at your life on this level, and this is, you know, this is a, a, a major shift in consciousness we're talking about. And regardless if you're doing it as a leader or a, um, uh, you know, a leader of a family, the, the father figure, the mother figure, um, or if you're working with a, a not-for-profit organization, anywhere where you're interfacing with other humans, let's face it, your whole life unless you're a hermit, if you have this authentic reality to yourself and you're being authentic to yourself, and that's the tough one, being authentic to yourself because we're incredibly good at lying to ourselves and then yep. saying, oh yeah, well that's the reality and a lot of times it's not. Um, I think... If you're able to do that and transform, and, and you get a number one, you get an incredible rush of energy. You get this amazing, amazing amount of energy where you get up in the morning and you just can't wait to get to work and you can't wait to get into another project and you can't wait for a challenge because you're excited about everything. This type of attitude actually motivates everybody on your team, even if they're not going to follow the philosophy of this book uh, to the letter. Um, it doesn't matter because as the leader, if you're being truly authentic, if you're truly energized at the level that you can get energized, people just get sucked into the void and they love it. They're people that work because they love their work are super efficient and it's, uh, and, and I just don't understand why businesses don't understand this. That is real ROI. You're going to get amazing return on your major investment, and most companies' major investment is their people. That's one of the most expensive things uh, for your company to keep it keep it running is the talent. And if they're authentic, or at least if you're authentic and they get that and they're motivated and they're excited about their job, you're getting incredible return on investment with these people. Wow, Bob. So that's my rant. Yeah. Bob, this is what I want to record. This is what I want to put in the air. Uh, <laughs> 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 absolutely right. <laughs> so uh, it's fun to, to talk to an authentic leader here. And um, the moment you unleash this power and 
leaders who, who, who witness this process and that they see these employees are really inspired and motivated. That's their, how you say that in English, rock, rocks their boat or uh, makes them extremely uh, enthusiastic. But to be honest, uh, you, you make it sound like it's so easy. <laughs> On one hand, it is, it is so. But my goodness, to really unleash your power and really to stand, uh, stand there and really do your thing and really speak out and really put your energy to the things you really want to put energy on. The thing is, it sounds easy. In your head, it's easy. Probably in your heart, it's uh, easy to, to find what it is. But then to do it. My goodness, I have to deal with all kinds of fears. How will people look at me? Um, what kind of position I want to have in this group? Uh, don't they think I'm like a happy, clappy leader and get real, don't be that reckless, don't be that naive. The world is, uh, is another way like, like you say it is. So it takes a lot of guts uh, to, for these leaders to step out of the comfort zone and really unleash this power uh, like you, you put it well. Uh, so it's, and that's the biggest thing, how to deal with this fear the moment I really say, well, this is what I want to do. This is how, what, what gets me inspired. So you understand it's not always uh, the problem that people are looking uh, for ways how to do things. But they probably know what they want to do and how to do it. But then do you have to get really to do it and to confront your fear and to accept that some people say, well, uh, it sounds a little bit happy clappy, or uh, this is not the way we do things. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, so it really takes some guts to be authentic every now and then. You know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head um, using the word fear, and you've got to kind of you got to go past that. And and by putting out books like this, and I, and there are lots of other books out there that deal with fear and authenticity and trust. You have to have that ammunition behind you because that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is to try and get more people to read more business books because the more you read, the more you'll start to realize more and more people are going in this direction and it will give you the um, authentic realization that, wow, I am not the only person doing this. And if somebody attacks you by saying, oh, you're being airy-fairy or this is just not realistic or there's no ROI, well, you can logically approach that person and say, well, actually, no, you're wrong and here's the reasons and, and uh, you know, why don't you read this book and I'll reference this and that book. If you can have that type of stance, that is also part of being authentic. Anybody can stand up saying, oh, I'm going to be authentic and I'm great and I'm true to myself and aren't I great? <laughs> that's not being authentic. That's using this philosophy to basically create a soapbox to basically con people into thinking that. If you're truly authentic, you can argue the point and debate it. And really, some people, and this is all about personalities you you know if you're having a meeting it's not you meeting with five exact same personalities of, as you there'll be the skeptic there'll be the person that needs tons of details there's the guy that gets overexcited and jumps ahead too much you have to understand you're talking to lots of different types of humans and how you talk to them uh, is all part of your ability to be authentic uh, you know what the funny thing is uh, if I listen to 
leadership issues. I hear a lot, oh yeah, there's a lot of resistance there. And, but imagine that this is true, Bob, that if you see a leader uh, giving a lot of resistance and say, well, you're naive or whatever, imagine that you put this leader in, in his safety or her safety, that he doesn't have to use ego anymore, but really, really ask him or herself, what is what you really like to achieve? What were the most beautiful moments in your career? And I promise you, what kind of examples will this leader bring? It's not about reaching wealth or earning a lot of money. It was the moment that he created teams or she created teams and that they were f working very hard. And they were more, uh, those were the periods that they make the impossible possible. And they had this pizza session going on in the evening. We have to uh, make it all quiet. And were they nice to one another? No, they were strict and they were powerful. And those were the moments that they leveled themselves and leveled the others to, to a higher ground. And exactly, also the leader with a lot of resistance, and if you ask them, tell me about your happy moments in your career, they will <laughs> tell you all these same in their words, naive stories about how beautiful it could be. So it's, it's nice to realize, it's also for my colleagues something to realize. If you have this dominant, demolishing leader in front of you, be sure that deep within there's this authenticity that, that he wants to uh, get out and really create beautiful stuff instead of looking at me how poor, powerful I am. So this sounds like amen, but this is <laughs> this is what we see happening. So also the dominant leader deep within, they want to create beautiful stuff. Oh, I, I, I can't agree more. Uh, the, the, the whole thing is, and, and you kind of mentioned this in this book, there are different types of leaders. You know, there's the dominant leader, there's the aggressive leader, there's the bully leader, there's the wimpy leader. They're, they're like, there's all these styles, but they are just a shadow of what their authentic real leadership is, is because they don't have the confidence to set up and being authentic and truly believe. If, if the guy is a bully, the only reason he's a bully is because he was bullied and that's what motivated him and that seems to work for him. But if he was authentic, he, he might not be so much of a bully because he realizes, oh, the reason I'm a bully is because I've got this thing inside me that's driving me crazy because I have to get it done. And his, he has his own bully, which is himself, inside his head. And that's what he's got to get rid of. Yeah. yeah, well put. And maybe he can use his bully quality to uh, break down barriers, uh, to release things. So also, if you are the the bullier, the powerful, the demolisher, the, the, the diver, the dodger, uh, the nice guy, all kinds of egos. How can you change that uh, from a kind of uh, attacking mode to a constructive mode? So even if you are, you see this bully leader, how to use this talent to create beautiful things. Uh, that, that, that's, yeah, why the books is about. Uh, also, the funny behavior can you laugh about it and see how you can change that behavior into something constructive? It is possible. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people just have to give themselves permission. And, and I, I, a lot of that is based on what your childhood's about. And, and if you're 
if you were brought up in an environment which was very permission-based, that you were basically trained that you do not move forward without permission, that's one of the oh, hardest yeah. things to break through because it cripples your ability to work efficiently in a company. Yeah, am I allowed to be myself? Maybe that's the biggest question. And maybe there's something uh, that has to do with fear as well. What we see a lot, you, you hear that in, in a lot of philosophies, and I, I, to be honest, I must agree that it's not, uh, you have this beautiful poem from Williamson. It, it's, I think it was the, uh, the moment that Nelson Mandela uh, had his, how you say that? Uh, when he started to become the, the, the president, he had this saying, it's not a, about the things we can't do, it's about a strength that we are afraid of. Um, and I, it's a, it's a poet from Williamson, and I put it somewhere in the book, that it's not uh, because the things I can't do, but sometimes I'm afraid of the beautiful person I am. Is it really something I uh, can show? What can happen? How how uncomfortable people can feel if I really stand for what I, uh, what I believe in and what I want to create. So, like you put it, it's not always, actually, most of the time, it's not the fear of other person, but really the fear, am I allowed to be myself? Is it really so, is it, what could happen to me if I really unleash my, my own power? I, you know, it's one of the biggest tragedies in life is, you know, as children and young adults and, and, and at that stage of your life, you are already that. You are being yourself. And as you're de- um, trained to be more socially acceptable and told to, to don't do this and don't do that, you internalize it and you personalize it too much. And that kind of becomes part of the track of your personality. Um if you're fortunate enough to be brought up in a very caring and giving environment, what happens is when you go into the workforce, you run into all these other people that are damaged and you realize like, oh, I can't share this or people think I'm being weird. And we kind of touched on that a little bit, saying that some people will reject the philosophy of the book uh, because it makes them feel uncomfortable. So part, I think, of this journey is being not only open with yourself and, and understand your ego and what drives you, but also being able to sympathize. And, and I really want to use the word sympathize or feel sorry for people that aren't getting where you're coming from because they're never going to be able to do amazing things in their life. Which is And the most amazing thing you can do in your life or the secret to life is, like you said, be yourself and be respected for being yourself. Much harder if you have an awful background uh, with no self-confidence, etc. You've got a section in here, a fairy tale. So let's talk a little bit about that because it's lovely. All right, yeah. Well, I wrote this book, um, the, the first in, uh, in the Netherlands, uh, a couple of years ago. And I had this idea every uh, now and then, if I uh, put my children to bed, I um, yeah, told them some fairy tales. And what I actually did is just uh, mention the day, what I did, and make a fairy tale of it. So <laughs> probably this is my ego because there was always this uh, great knight on a white horse. <laughs> and that was daddy, of course. Uh, sorry for that. But what I did every evening, I just explained what I did this day and made a fairy tale of it. And there was this moment I, ro- I wanted to 
explain what the philosophy of authentic leadership is all about. So what I did, I made a fairy tale of it. Uh, and that's what you can read at the end of the book. And every now and then, if I, uh, at a university or talk to leaders, and if you have the right atmosphere, uh, just sit down, uh, take a drink, and I want to tell a fairy tale. And I, 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 I just read the fairy tale I uh, just once made for my children. That's why I wrote that. You know, that, that when you were saying that sitting down over drink and, and being authentic uh, reminded me very much of a German uh, thing called Stammtisch, which is the gathering of, 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 of leaders or decision makers. And, and in your career and, and in the business world, it's filled full of Stammtisch uh, situations. Yeah, just sit down and let's talk what it's really about. I think every culture, and you mentioned this earlier, you were talking about Asian cultures and how they seem so alien and different, but they're very, very similar in the sense that, and this is what I love about Stumptish. When I was in Japan, it was introduced to me uh, through one of the leaders at, at, at Lufthansa. And I said, wow, that's, that's an amazing concept. And then realized, like, oh, hang on, we're doing it here. You do it in North America. You say, oh, let's go oh, have a beverage fun. with the boys or in, in uh, Germany. But also in, in Asia, you go out, you do your business, you do your meetings. Um, but then you go out and have some drinks. And that's the time where you're able to be authentic and let your hair down. And, and you know, it's amazing. For instance, you hear a lot, if you talk about culture, there are values and there are norms. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that is in Canada as well, that you talk about their values and norms, if you talk about the culture. Or is it values and standards? How, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, is yeah. Values it, and norms? Yeah, it would be values and standards, values and norms. It, it's, it's similar. Really, what you're talking about is there are your core values, or like a culture's core values, which tend to be, you know, uh, almost impossible to meet 100%. And then the norms is uh, what people do normally. So, you know, that that's then you're getting into like, how ethical is this person? Well, you, you know, you have people that are so ethical, they're almost impossible to deal with. And then there's some people that are, are uh, almost um, psychotic in the way that they do business, which is the other side of the scale. Yeah, uh, and yeah, they're impossible yeah. to do business with. But, you know, taking that aside, I think uh, the average person, the average uh, business person, they're in it to, uh, number one, survive and uh, take care of themselves or their family. That's the number one thing and motivation. But past that is to be really feel that they're doing something that's worthwhile. And that was kind of what we talked about at the very beginning of the interview is like what what motivated you to, to step forward and, and conquer your fears and, and do all the things that you've talked about in this book. So I think when you talk about values and norms within a culture, if you can instill this type of philosophy, and I think of a lot of it already pre-exists, just recognizing it and maybe saying, oh, okay, this is the way he's talking about it, and I can just tweak it a little bit, and now it perfectly fits in with the Canadian culture, or this perfectly fits in with uh, my... my uh, yeah, that's, that's great that you say that. Because uh, and a lot of things, of course, also semantics. It's just give it a definition and be true to it. And imagine, and I hope if this is the only thing people will remember, I'm a very happy man, 
Imagine that a value is the deeper belief within something you stand for, like respect or honesty or integrity, something like that. And the norm is how to translate this value into behavior. Like respect is uh, in behavior, I really listen to someone. Uh, that's a way to express your uh, respect to another person. Or respect could be that I look you into the eyes and show that I'm there for you. But then in another culture, the same word respect, the same value respect, is being translated as don't look at somebody uh, in the eyes because that's an insult. And now something interesting happened. I can give you a lot of examples. What seems to be the case, if you take a look at cultures all over the world, also the, the, the culture in, in several beliefs, the funny, the marvelous thing is they have the same values. If you uh, define the values that way you stand for, like integrity or respect of honesty, etc., it's in every culture. So people are uh, also in country, countries, and this is uh, our opinion, uh, they, we don't have different values. What is different is the way we translate these values into norms, our behavior. Um, for instance, if you see a leadership uh, in leadership cultures, in the Netherlands, we are, I'm afraid, a little bit famous that we are rather direct and probably we can be seen as blunt because we just say, well, that's our way to show respect. I, want you, uh, I don't want to lie to you. I just want to tell you the truth and with a positive intention. But can you imagine me working in London and being very direct and tell you, okay, this is your ego and you're confronted now with the chairman. This is something I see at the table. That's very disrespectful in their eyes. So what was the, the way I, I, I saw in the seven layers? The difficulty is if we have a culture problem, just listen, listen to the radio, uh, look at the television, listen carefully what leaders tell if they talk about culture differences, they are talking about it's not respectful, it's not honest, it's not open, it's not transparent. But that's not the truth. It is open, it is transparent. It's only not the way you describe transparency in your culture. So what you see is a lot of culture. This is a dream of me, Bob, uh, that I can explain and maybe not me it's, it's not that i have to explain you know it's this is especially not my ego but imagine that people realize that every culture in the world has the same values but that we only differ in our norms so that but unfortunately if we have a culture problem i will probably tell you you're not transparent you're not reliable and that uh, taking this problem too deep in the seven layers. I hope I didn't lose you in this sentence with a lot of words, but uh, this, this is something I like to share. No, it, it's. I think it's brilliant, and and I think it's it's one of those truisms that you hear every now and again, um, which are quite rare. And uh, for me, it was a bit of epiphany listening to it because it it really. I was thinking back to to certain situations when I was working in Asia, and yeah. uh, realizing, wow, yeah, it it's it wasn't them; it was me not understanding it. And I think you really defined what culture shock is. Like, I talk to people about, you know, they say, oh, "What was it like living in Japan?" And I say, "Well, it was great. The first six months were hell because I was trying to make Japan like me." 
so I could deal they with it. They don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. So then I, as soon as that broke down and I said, okay, well, maybe I should change to fit in with the Japanese culture, then everything was fine. Yeah. You had to understand how they defined things like respect, reliable, etc., etc. And did you recognize that if you, if you are the stranger in Japan, that you really have this feeling they really don't understand the world? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you come in there as the North American and you say, hey, I'm here to help. I'm from North America. We're great at stuff. We've got this big ego, <laughs> huge chip on our shoulder. You know, I'm here to help you guys and we're going to do great. And if you do that as a leader, you got like everybody in the crowd is like, who is this jerk? He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and, and, and you just come up as some sort of lunatic. So I, I think definitely having an authentic um, – leadership approach would help you uh, if you decided to go for an expat career move, for sure. Yeah. Did you ever see the size of the Netherlands? No, no. I think you're right, because you can't. It's so small, but can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> a Dutch guy come to America. Yeah. Let me one time explain how, uh, you how it works. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if you... My whole approach to doing business is trying to find like-minded people um, because, you know, you can only educate for so long in your life and then you realize, like, you know, I can't change the world, so I'm just going to work with people that get what I'm about and understand it and together we'll be stronger and we'll be able to do more and we'll have a lot more fun. And all the other people that don't get it, well that's too bad for them. And I, I, I really feel sorry for people that don't get it and, and can't work with me on the level that I need to work with them. And it's very easy, to, you know, within five or 10 minutes of me sitting down with an organization, I'll know if they're a good fit or not. And, and it comes to the point where, you know, I'll say, guys, guys, let's stop right now. I'm not, it's just not working. I, I, I can tell already that this isn't going to work. So let's just stop it. Let's have a coffee. Let's talk about some sports. Or if you guys want to go back to work and, and catch up in your day, that's fine. I'm just going to go, you know, whatever works for you. And, you know, the people that don't get it, they get really pissed off. Yeah. But how did you learn this, Bob, to do that? How did you learn it yourself? Well, because I traveled a lot and I was forced to realize that it's not me, it's, it's, it's um, you know, in Japan, even though I didn't speak Japanese uh, well enough to, to converse on a uh, highly intellectual level, I would end up running into to different artists or other people that we resonated and we had an incredible time and we maybe draw pictures to communicate and, and use incredibly bad English and very, bad, very embarrassingly bad Japanese. But we had a lot of fun and we really communicated at a core level. And for me, that's what I brought back from my travels is like, why can't I have that same approach to doing business and, and dealing with life here in, in North America? Just because I speak the same language doesn't mean we're talking the same language. Yeah, that's great. Because you're so polite asking me questions, and I'm, uh, I can see that you have a lot of know-how already, and you, you said you're 52 years old, so the, the biggest experience and your authenticity, you received that or discovered that during your travel. And was there a, a certain age that you really realized, my goodness, this is who I really am? I've been pretty lucky in the, in the sense that, that, you know, uh, when I was younger, my dad came to me and said, you know, Bob, if you work really, really, really hard, uh, by the time you're 40, maybe 45, you can retire and spend the rest of the life doing what you want to do. And so I took that aside and said, you know, that's interesting philosophy. How about 
if I do what I really want to do now and then I'm retired for my whole life? And that's what I did. So I think that for me is why I do what I do is, is I don't do and when I work with people, I, I give like a tremendous of stuff away for free. I'm I'm into the project. I'm into doing stuff. I that's where I get enjoyment is is doing the stuff. That I get paid money uh, during and after the fact is irrelevant to me, and and because that's not my driving force, and because I'm very creative, it's more of an artistic philosophy. Um, it's about the project. It's about creation. It's about moving forward, and I think if more people could live their business life like that, it would be a lot more fun doing business with people because it wouldn't be so bottom line driven, it wouldn't be so bean counter centric, and more, uh, let's try and have a great life and do some great things. Talk about money. Probably you still earn some money, although you give uh, a lot of things for free. Yeah, of course. But I mean, that's just, you know, that's my responsibility for my family, but I don't get all uptight about it. Right. It's it's like I don't have to have a massive house. I don't have to have, you know, a, a million dollars in the bank account before I can relax. I can have like, you know, ten thousand dollars in the in, in my bank account and be relaxed. It's it's that classic question. Oh, if you won the if you won the lotto tomorrow, what would you do? And what would you do? Yeah. I, I love asking this question to people because the people yep. that get it and yep. I resonate with say, well, I do exactly what I'm doing now. I would just not worry about you know, little things in life and probably give a lot of it away. And for them, it's not about the money. And those are the people I really have a lot of fun doing business with. Before we uh, we wrap up the interview, is there anything you would like to recommend to our listening audience uh, that they can do today to uh, help them get into a more authentic leadership headspace? Yes. Take a look at your life and see what were the moments in your life that you created stuff you didn't receive the applause, but felt extremely happy. So those were the moments that you saw one of your employees, of your colleagues, uh, taking this risk and succeed, or that you see this team suddenly become a team that really cooperates or uh, smashing down barriers and uh, lift their self-awareness uh, or their self What were the moments that you uh, was uh, witnessing this, that, that, that you witness the creation that makes you feel extremely happy without the applause. And what I mean with without the applause, it's not because the applause was the uh, core reason to be happy. No, it's just witness that you made an impact and that because of you, you saw something was growing in your environment. And I would suggest to everyone, just just think about that what were these moments? And that could be a moment 10 years ago. It could be a moment last day. But I can promise you, if you put these moments uh, next to one another, there's this common theme. And that is probably your purpose in life, because this is what you're here uh, doing, making this kind of creations. And I would love to see everyone uh, feel extremely happy, say, oh my goodness, this is why I'm here. This is what I really do on this earth. This is what I. Uh, this is my added value. This is what I like to achieve. Not by. I want the applause. I want the money. No, I feel extremely happy 
making the difference by creating this kind of stuff. This is my suggestion to every listener. We've been chatting with Boss Blacking. Authentic leadership. Discover and live your essential mission. And boy, did we dig into it today. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash Business Book Talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week. Thank you.